Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hey, good everyone. Hey, guys. Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. And welcome back. You would have heard last month kicking off season five of Investing Insights for Right Property Group. And it made me sort of think back of five years having to spend time with these guys and navigating the property market and how relationships can change over the years from something which is uh, something you appreciate and value, something in, <laughs> to, to something. You, you he's lining us up already, isn't he? <laughs> Just, he's laughing at his own sledge before he's even yeah, said I know, it. <laughs> I know. No, I wasn't going to say how, how uh, good things improve with age is what I was going to say. And uh, isn't it better? Is that your wine, is it? It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But a property-related relationship is like a good wine. Uh, Steve pays number one, but number two, it's it's not a bad uh, bad drop. But um, how are you guys going today? You well? This yeah, se- no, season yeah, five. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, good. That stunning introduction. Yeah, you like that? I've been practicing it. It was great. What we had learnt from that is Phil never pays. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes pays. I always pay the piper, and this is the way it works. Particularly when it comes to property in this market, at least everyone's paying, paying well, through the nose. They are. That's a pretty good lead-in, mm. actually, because it is that. It's such a, a collaborative market at the moment mm. between all states and territories. For that matter, everything is going up, mm-hmm. even potentially properties or places- That have never gone up. That have, yeah, that have never gone up and probably still shouldn't, are actually starting to feel the effects yeah. of what we have today. Yeah, and um, we spoke about last time we got together, how you and your team are navigating this market, how everyone's navigating this market. You just hear anecdotally, Victor, time and time again. So, by the way, Victor Kumar and Steve Waters from Right Property Group, if you don't know them, 70, 80 people turning out at open homes, mm-hmm. properties going for way over asking price, people getting confused and annoyed about investing time, energy, and effort into acquiring property and not even getting close to it. All these rumors that you would have seen in markets over the years of underquoting by real estate agents etc etc how bad is it out there look there is definitely a FOMO effect Mm. there is definitely a undersupply in quite a few markets so there are more buyers than there are properties uh, that are on the market and it comes back to money is cheap there are less properties on the ground there are more buyers around so naturally there'd be a push upwards and this is where a lot of people are still operating on old ground where they're coming in trying to lowball the agent in terms of offers and the time now is to take assertive action know the values know what the role is for the property and also not get caught up in the um, flow of things and um, pay too much for something so diligence in this market Mm -hmm. is critical so you shouldn't not be investing in this market, whereas a lot of people now are sort of retreating. But it's a good market for investing? I wouldn't know that people are retreating. Well, people are retreating through fatigue, I think. They're just going, it's just too hard. Anecdotally is what I'm hearing. Look, potentially they are, but I, I think it's to take a breath mm. as opposed to saying, well, yeah, mm. I'm out. You know, Vic mentioned determining value in today's market and you mentioned, you know, are people just retreating because they, they can't keep up mm. or is it because of a fatigue factor? I think the the problem that people are having is subconsciously they're asking themselves, how long will this continue? And have I missed the boat? Have I missed the boat? And should I wait? And I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question, mm. you know, whether this will go on for three mm. years, five years, or three months. There is some weighted evidence perhaps in terms of the ecosystem around the economy that would suggest it will go for quite some time, but potentially the degree of growth will start to 
It'll take change. off. Yeah. yeah. Because we can't have this type of growth patterns and be sustainable. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise, we may have to take a approach that New Zealand has had, where they try to slow down the market by um, reducing the loan-to-value ratios on the properties, mm. right? So we had 20 30% growth in a month over there. Now, we're not even seeing that over here. We're, we're talking perhaps 20% growth in a year over here. So we're a long way off, but that is one way of slowing down is by making finance a lot more restrictive. Yeah, and these are the sort of prudential levers that can mm-hmm. be pulled in order to shape and slow markets, which we've seen over the last period of time. But, you know, uh, to interrupt for one mm. minute, the situation that we're in now is also a combination or part thereof the reason of APRA pulling that handbrake mm. back in 2017-ish is why we are in many areas undersupplied today. And they're damned if they do and they're damned if mm. they don't. Yeah. Like they, they're never going to be in this perfect – sort of moment in time where everything is just equal. They're going to have to release the handbrake, pull the handbrake. It's just to which degree will they do it mm-hmm. and who do they target? Well, let's see, you, you, Victor, no, no doubt you could channel your academic background and every action has an equal and opposite reaction. What Steve mm-hmm. is talking about there yeah. is the decisions made back then to try and manouvre and shape a market is therefore having huge impacts today. And we're it is, by it way is, yeah. and, and when so we make Newton, these changes- uh, Newton's, Newton's second, yeah, second, second law. law. Yep. There we go. Second law of physics, yeah. Um, Steve's got his tongue out and sort of rolling his eyes. <laughs> just, so just, just give him an apple, he'll be all right. <laughs> so that's, like everybody knows what you're talking about here. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you look at the changes we make in terms of the property industry, right? It is a slow moving change. Even if you make the change today, we can't really- get enough data or real ground value in terms of changes happening mm. because properties are slow moving based in terms of the transactions. So from start to finish, if you're putting a property on the market and deciding to put a property on the market, really best case, it's a two month, maybe a three month process, right? So if you're implementing a change today, it takes at least three months for it to gain any traction so that you can have some tangible data to say, hey, it's worked or it's not working or we need to tighten the screws a bit more or loosen it, right? So this is why it's such a hard market to regulate when you're talking about human emotion. You're also talking about the availability of finance and then also talking about the trends in terms of population. Uh, if you take COVID as an example, Obviously, migration is at a standstill, right? Yet still, property prices are going up. I would say all of that and other factors are the reason that we've probably got the greatest disconnected market Mm -hmm. that I've ever seen. I think, look, at the end of the day, it is such a different world. Clearly, it's been the world's biggest unintended social experiment, really. Mm. And many different parts of the world have been shaped, including ours. And in our asset class... What's happening today hasn't, we've never seen this before, albeit the results are quite similar. The trigger points have been different. And unfortunately, there will be, as I mentioned earlier on, there will be evidence of history repeating itself. And people will look back at this moment in time. And say, that's the time to buy. But they'll also say, well, I probably shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z as, as we've done through every different cycle, because the unfortunate thing that happens is that greed takes over Mm. and that's part of FOMO is actually clearly the fear of missing out because I'll have to pay more tomorrow and suddenly you start to shortcut what are usually the non-negotiables or whether that be price, condition, location, you know, lay of the land, slope of the block, whatever it may be, just to get a piece of the market. Yeah. But the biggest thing that I think most people will forget about as they always do 
is going to be about cash flow management. Yeah, I know we say this every single time, right? Cash flow management. But if you look at it historically, that's the thing that gets people into trouble is not taking into account that, yes, the rates are pretty low right now. You know, we are being buoyed up by strong equity gains. But there will come a time when the rates are a lot higher. And if you haven't done your sums up uh, up front and uh, catered for that higher interest rate, you'd have to give away all of the growth that you'll have in the property that you've bought because you can't afford to hold on. So it's no sense having huge growth property if you can't afford to hold on to the growth. We're not being negative here though mm. either. I mean, it, this isn't a, a slant on everybody run away because you're going to lose money. It's more about just being that sophisticated investor and prepare for the future because there'll be equal opportunity then as well when others are potentially you know, starting mm. to falter. That's a good point, Steve. So the purpose of this discussion is potentially raising people's awareness to make more informed mm-hmm. decisions because at a point in time, once this period of growth tapers out and we move into a more normalised market, you're going to start seeing the four corners and the current affairs exposés of people who have probably made the worst decisions known to man during this cycle and yep. have blown their dough or put themselves in a situation where it's, which is dire, having to liquidate assets, people going bankrupt. We've seen them in the last few market cycles, mm. haven't we, Victor? That's right, yeah. And um, if I borrow from earlier on in terms of Newton, what goes up does come down, right? So if you're talking about property values, mm. a strong surge of growth as we are experiencing right now, if we time it wrong and if we put in the wrong types of properties in our portfolio, mm. when we have that big growth, you do give that back. So if I take a parallel back in the Sydney market of 2017 as an example, we had over the uh, preceding couple of years about 85% growth, mm. right? But then we gave back at the peak of the market, we gave back about 15%. So if you got on at the right time or had the ability to hold on longer even if the growth was given back, you did okay. So the idea is that you need to be taking a long-term approach into property ownership and not expect that it'll always go up. So there's articles right now in the media for those people that bought at the peak in 2017 where they've given back 15% after they bought. So as an example, they may have bought for a particular price and then when they get go back and revalue two, three, six months later, it's actually much lower. Now they're well above what their purchase price was, right? So they have been able to hold on to that property for maybe five years, uh, depending on when they've bought, and therefore only been able to hold on because of the cash flow situation, right? Mm. So in between that, so I know that 2017 is different where we actually had the rates reduce since then. But if you look, uh, look at apparel right now, if we haven't taken a planned approach, and you buy and potentially it's at the peak. And no one can tell you it's the peak of the market until it's passed. Yeah. Right? So let's say you did buy at the peak of the market and, and you've given some growth back and the rates start going up. You might lose the ability to hold on, particularly when you've absolutely redlined your borrowing capacity and affordability when you've bought your property. So what we're talking about here, Victor, is the opportunities to be in this market mm-hmm. versus poor decision-making in this market, which, which will be impacting you into the future. We're, we're talking Newton. Steve's getting nervous. I agree with what Victor was saying about that some of the decisions today will clearly, there'll be an, a negative impact in the future. But conversely, I also think today's circumstances could potentially, if you attack this right and construct it correctly, that it will hold you in a better position mm. 
at that moment in time yeah. when things start to taper off or if rates go up or if mm-hmm. the handbrake is pulled or whatever it may be, if you just stick to the plan now. Yeah, having a planned approach. Yeah, but the plan isn't just straight line. There have to be moments in time where you're going to pivot yeah. by a few degrees to take advantage of different opportunities mm-hmm. or whatever it may look like to you. But if you go into this chasing nothing but growth, you'll be the victim. I think you'll be asking for trouble. Yeah. yeah because and you need to still, like we keep saying, address the cash flow as well. Well, you were talking about how people were giving back 15% or whatever it may be earlier on. The problem with most investors in real estate when they're starting out is that they're actually, they're looking at it from a month to month mm-hmm. scenario. And the more growth that we have in today's environment and everybody's reporting upon it, then they're expecting to see this 2% a month or whatever it may be, yeah. 5% a month, 1% a month. But when that stops happening and that you can't measure it because it's not in the media, the very first reaction for most investors is, well, I'll get out. And you go back to 2017 or the GFC or you know the Royal Commission, whatever it may be, and history will repeat itself. But if you've already got the cash flow to, within your own confines, if you will, your mm. own parameters, then that the pulse of the market, whether it's up 2%, down 2%, kind of becomes irrelevant, yeah. dare I say it, because you've actually got a, a larger or a longer time frame or a bigger horizon mm. where you know you're going as opposed to, well, I'm going to make 10% this quarter and then I'm going to cash out. It'll only be those people that can't control the cash flow, in my opinion, that will become the victim. Mm. So, you know, if we talk about cash flow, right, there's several facets of that. So one is obviously how much surplus money you've got left over in the household budget at the end of each month. You also need to look at the changes that are likely to happen in your life. Now, are you starting a family? Are you changing from PAYG and going into self-employment where your cash flow is going to be pretty lumpy? So you need to be looking at it from those viewpoints and then buy a property that matches that scenario rather than just following the herd and you know just focusing on high growth property or even properties where you're slated that you know you're going to knock it down and build a duplex and all that but you haven't done your sums in terms of whether you'll get the finance to do that i would suggest the property needs to match the portfolio yes which then in the beginning should match you hmm. so if we need to plug something into the portfolio to address the bottom line hmm in terms of its cash flow, overall cash flow, and so be it. Because there are lots of places throughout the country today that are producing good cash flow and that will continue to do so, and I dare say would probably increase over the next 12 months as well. You mentioned earlier on about if we've already got a housing accommodation crisis now and we've had zero population growth, what happens when and if the international borders open up? Which I reckon we'll do sort of later this year. Mm. Well, potentially. I don't think it'll be the floodgates open and – and every sort of second person moves to Australia. But I do believe there will certainly be an increase in the population. But that also, that could bring into the conversation around the disconnected market, the difference between houses and units. Mm. So clearly at the moment, there is the great divide between houses and attached dwellings, yeah? yeah? Let's get into that, Steve. But before we do hand something which connected with this chat, we talk about sort of people chasing uh, high growth, sort of high growth properties versus not being able to retain them because of cash flow. In your experience working with thousands of investors, Steve, how many sort of redline their cash flow position just in general? Is it quite common for people to be stretched? And if one thing sort of falls over, they become under duress and if two things fall over i.e you choose to have another child and you someone loses their job or whatever that it's built on 
quite sort of shaky grounds or when you see are most people sort of reasonably solid in their portfolio construction? Look, I don't want to sound like a Generalising, yeah. Yeah, but like our clients, one of the major components of sustainability is that cash flow surplus mm. or that capital surplus or your buffers. If it's getting to a point in time where you're redlining, then the strategy wasn't correct for you to begin with or you've made some major changes mm-hmm. since that moment in time. Yeah that have affected your personal cash flow. Have the money before you need it Mm. has always been my mantra because there will be times where things change that are out of your control. So you don't want to become that person that's backed into a corner to make irrational decisions because of a lack of cash flow. And once again, we're not talking about the cash flow that the property produces solely. This is in totality. Your personal circumstances, your income, your expenditure, what the property does for you, et cetera, et cetera. That's the approach. So when, say, uh, Vic, someone comes and chats to you guys the first time and they might already have a few properties and stuff, is the first that you look at when you review their portfolio and see mm-hmm. capacity for growth and, and creating a strategy? Is that cash yeah. position? Is yeah. that where so if they, if they already have a portfolio, we look at the numbers in the portfolio and mm. you'd be amazed as to, uh, you know, just tweaking things that they already have that can create the capacity to hold on to one or two more properties without spending any more money, mm. just just restructuring things. Could be restructuring loans. Yeah. It could be the amount of people that I see that are actually behind in what market rent is, mm. is enormous yeah. because the market has moved quite quickly over the last, call it 12 months or thereabouts. But the mortgage rates is another mm. big one. Yeah. So in a simple restructure, let's say that that creates, you know, a couple of hundred dollars in a month, right? That frees up that money something that you're already spending mm. right now to hold on to your portfolio, that could lead towards your buffer or lead towards holding one more investment property. Uh, so it, it's a matter of looking at what you have right now, looking at what your true affordability is in terms of how much surplus cash flow can you afford to put into the portfolio before tax. Right, So this is not taking a negative gearing into account. This is not taking any of the government incentives into account mm. because they can go tomorrow. Right, So we're looking at it from money in, money out. And then we also then look at you know what is it that you're really wanting to achieve out of the property portfolio. And that then helps us shape the progression of the portfolio. Or in some cases, we actually say that you don't need to buy anymore. You're done. You just need to do X, Y, and Z to get to your goals. In fact, sometimes you'll make more money by doing nothing yeah. and just concentrating and jigging mm. potentially what you have. But I do want to bring it back to that disconnect between attached and detached dwellings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's never been a, a time where that, that it's gap amplified. Is, yeah. is, is so large. And there's a couple of reasons. why It's not just COVID. There was an oversupply to begin with and therefore the potential to absorb of, that of, of, a of par, attached. Of attached yeah, dwellings. And especially subpar mm. attached dwellings. Then COVID took that supply or that ability to absorb mm-hmm. that amount of accommodation coming on was taken away via COVID. Then people were channeled out towards the suburbs because of space, work from home, and all those other components. And I don't think that will change anytime soon. Maybe the degree will, but not the concept. But we have to ask the question if we've got units that are well located, so on transport hubs opposite major infrastructure Mm -hmm. or in amongst it and we're not seeing growth but we're seeing areas of equilibrium in terms of Mm -hmm. supply and demand is there the possibility that units will actually bounce i think there is always that possibility especially when you start getting 
the houses coming to a point where the yields no longer support the price that you're paying for it. Correct. So the commercial aspect of mm. units might then start to… So you're sort of talking counter-cyclical investing here, whereas everyone's chasing houses that in time macro-micro factors should support a growth in units. Yeah, but… Well-located well Well-located, but the caveat to that is they need to have a very sound cost to operate. So, mm. yeah, no elevators, no pools and et cetera. That do they make, do they make that stuff anymore though? Like, do no, they, they're do, older units. They're older, older units. Blocks, which yeah. are usually, yeah, they may not have the second bathroom, but they might be larger. Mm. They're certainly going to be better located. Yeah. There might be the opportunity there. Like, like I can think of probably a dozen suburbs where I don't think you could ask for better components. Yeah. Uh, brackets, infrastructure and, and where they're located, where they're, they're quickly approaching to be one third of a price mm. of what a detached Houses dwelling would be. Well, if you think, and you know, like with a better yield, this, yeah. Mm. And we're, we're not suggesting by any means that go away and buy this stuff, but you're no, just no. you're just proposing the idea of looking to the future. And I think if you were to align that, we spoke about as part of this uh, disconnected markets, uh, a market dominated by migration versus a market with no migration, which is we're in right now when that lever is pulled and they allow people back into Australia, that will probably swallow up a lot of that sort of apartment stock because that's where most people kick off. A lot of people kick off when they come to Australia is in, Correct. in apartment in your burbs. Um, Correct. Uh, but where, it's also the, sort of communities of people from similar places. Correct. But it's also yeah. it's an affordability point as well Yeah. because clearly the unit market or the attached dwelling market, their rents have not increased. Yeah at the rate of what detached dwellings and mm-hmm. homes have. Might have gone down, to be honest with you. Yeah, they would have. Yeah. But a couple of reasons for that. You know, mm-hmm. one is first time owners great, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But there will become a tipping point where they are the affordable accommodation mm. because there is an accommodation crisis, like there just is. And there will be a, a point in time where those dwellings become the only affordable piece of accommodation. Then as their yields start to increase and if we just – let's just assume that rates stay the same, then their commercial aspect becomes far more attractive to investors as long as the cost to operate and all those other fundamentals are there. Mm. And will we see that tipping point with the unit market then start to- Well, to Victor's point beforehand, and you know, it's a catalyst for shifting markets. So you talk about pigeon pairing, we're talking about cash mm. flow at the moment. So you, know, you said an affordable accommodation point. Stephen, might only be the only accommodation you can get Go and try and get yourself a house up in the Central Coast these days, right? It's near on impossible to find a place to rent. So that unit market has actually gone up. That's going up because yeah. it's just it's getting pushed out there. So if the economics of holding units uh, improves on this basis, it means you could potentially get a free pass on positive cash flow to offset pigeon pair. Because yeah, one of your points you are yeah. capital growth properties. Yeah, you still need to look at the long term prospects of it as well, so mm. that uh, you know you look at uh, the pipeline analysis and look at what's in the pipeline for development and um, know that if you're getting in now, it may not fire immediately. So, you know, you'll see all of these houses that are roaring ahead and the units mm. aren't moving as much, but then it'll come to that, as Steve said, the tipping point where it will start firing and then people realize, hang on, I'm getting far better yield on a unit. It's far cheaper to get in and I can control perhaps two, maybe three of these assets. Mm. So as with the houses, as more people jump in, the supply and demand tips and it starts taking off, off the back of the higher yields. Yeah, just to be very clear though, we're not saying that everybody should go out and buy units anywhere, any Mm. place or anything like that for that matter. It's just a point of discussion 
that no doubt we'll have mm. again in, I'm going to call it 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Because when you do buy units, I believe there's so much more in behind it than, mm. well, that's a good unit in a good place. A lot of considerations, more than houses, yeah, in fact. Yeah, yeah. You know, land content to dwelling. Mm. Yeah, there's so much more to it. But for those that potentially can only afford to look at buying a unit mm. in today's market. Better to be in the market than out. Potentially, mm. yeah. Well, if you can get an uplift in capital growth in a unit, it's equity you can use, right, for propelling you into another And that property. becomes like, and if nobody else is looking at them, mm. then you have choice. Yeah. And you could potentially be where the housing market was 18 months ago yes. or thereabouts, mm. rather than trying to catch the market and be a part of it, you have the choice. You're starting to convince me to buy a unit, yeah. mate. Um, uh, is there any that's a service department down the coast that you're selling or anything like that? <laughs> I haven't got any down the coast. I've got them up the coast. <laughs> it's, um, so what I'm trying to do over there, folks, is that- You can drive uh, there in your Bentley. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Uh, so what I'm trying to do over there, folks, is that, you know, don't get caught up in that ultra high cash flow or the lifestyle sort of thing in the unit style. Correct. You can have all the cash on the world, but if there's no growth, yep. it's counterproductive and vice versa. But therein, Steve, to your point around disconnected markets have a lot of opportunity in them if you know how to read them and build a strategy around it. And we spoke about houses versus units, and I, I don't mind that discussion point. That was just really, hey, this is how you can look at a market, regional versus city. Is it a tale of two cities? I don't know. It's regional markets have been doing pretty well. I know you've had some activity in, in regional markets, and um, but you wouldn't offset how you're you're still sort of focusing on capital city markets. So, do you still have that polar opposites like you see in houses versus units in regional versus city, or is it a little bit closer? Oh, it's a lot closer. Yeah, more so because of COVID mm. and the whole work from home scenario. Where you know, and there's been a million podcasts and a you know, a million pieces of media around it, and a lot of it I agree with, and some mm. of it. I do not agree with. Mm. I think there will become a point in time, as we mentioned probably three or four podcasts ago or wherever it was, about whilst the regional areas are running hot, there'll be a point in time where the capitals will catch up in terms of that rate of growth. Yeah. And we're starting to see that now. I think some of the regional areas will hold, will do very well you know, for many, 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 many years to come. But I also think there'll be some regional areas that will you'll see in the, the, you know, the different media mm. platforms <laughs> where- yeah, there's been a – I'm not going to call it a correction. I'll call it an area of where people are starting to divest from. Mm. You've got to be careful with regional markets because there can be feasts and famine depending on, you know, a lot of these are, are single industry towns or they don't have a lot of industry. There'll be some sort of mining investment, whatever, to see a spike. But you only need to look at what happened. That's actually a good analogy. I know. think that the same narrative that you saw around mining towns, you'll see that around some of the yeah. regional areas in the future. Well, you saw the government announced last week that it's going to pay the half of every single person's airfare in order to support the aviation the sector. Yeah. And and they're largely regional towns, um, mm. Avalon, Alice Springs, some places up in Queensland. So you're going to see a lot of people going to these regional towns and going, hey, this is all right here. You know, I no doubt you will see an uplift of property as a result of that, but this is just a, a moment in time. You know, they've said they'll – 800,000 flights they'll pay half of, right? When that gets turned off, that will change the – economic dynamics of those towns very, very quickly. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And if we expand on that a little further, and let's look into the future a little bit when you know, when COVID's done and dusted. Marimbula's control. Marimbula. Marimbula. They're, they're yeah. actually paying half people's fares in Marimbula. Marimbula. Marimbula down on the Victorian border. Yeah. yeah. You've been there, by the way? 
Marimbulan, yeah, uh, I believe I have. I think mm. I used to have something down at Tilpa Tilpa. Is that okay. that's where near it is? Neither, yeah. 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 But if we look into the future a little bit, and let's imagine that we do get COVID under control on a global perspective. The question is, once people have seen enough of Australia, mm-hmm. have we already got itchy feet to get somewhere else in the world? And will the dollar then leave Australia, like the spent dollar leave Australia from our you know, local populace to go overseas? as that point of freedom, which will therefore mean we won't have it spent here, but then you could argue, well, people come to Australia and then spend it accordingly. That won't help the house price at that point in time. Mm. So, yes, there is the disconnect there. Is there sustainability in regional and metropolitan? I believe there is as long as you choose wisely because not everybody can work from home. It's a small percentage of people that will continue to work Mm. from home forever, very small. Yeah, already we're starting to see companies bringing employees back in uh, either full-time or three days on, two days off uh, scenario. But if you look at regional areas, one of the key things that you need to look at is that it can't be a one industry regional area. So Mm. there needs to be multiple employment points and there also needs to be enough, let's say that area dies, there's close enough travel distance to get to the next employment node as well. Okay, devil's advocate question here for both of you. Would you classify- I'm just a journal, I can't answer anything. Clearly. um, (laughs) So one of the highest growth, let's call it precincts, that we've seen over the last 12 months has been Byron Bay. Yeah. Would you classify Byron Bay as a one industry town? Yeah, all the stars are in there. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood, baby. It's, um, oh, I'd say it is. It's a tourism town. Yeah, right. but it's grown very well over the last decade. Forget hey, hey, car parking is a pretty big thing up there as well. It's now. a good business. Yeah. If you can, if you can get <laughs> yeah. it. So, and is it commutable to a major, what is it, a couple of hours to Brisbane or, or major, re- a major sort of working hub? Yeah. No. Not really. Right. So if we used Ballina, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but there's like if, but so if we use that as an example to say, well, it's got to be more than a one industry town. Mm. Well, then it wouldn't make the grade. No, it wouldn't. But yet it has grown mm-hmm. very well over the last decade continually, and I would suggest it will continue to do so because it caters for a very much the professional that can work from home. Mm. In entirety. Mm. And then the flow on is the industries that support that, right? So they need places to eat, they need places to uh, entertain themselves. Correct. Right? And so then you get a little bit of luck and you, mm-hmm. you, know, you get a few Well, maybe that's its industry. Town. Maybe its industry isn't tourism. Maybe its industry is work from home professionals. Could be. That's where I was going with you it. Know. Yeah. However, if you sort of spend some time looking at the market up there, there's not a lot for sale. So supply and demand. We'll talk about mm-hmm. supply and demand at the start of that. They're not building a lot of new stuff and- the fabric of that economy and why it was so attractive is getting fractured because the people that used to call Byron Bay home can't live there anymore. So it's completely, mm. it's a completely shifting sand. So if you fast forward 20 years, people might want to go, I don't want to go to Byron Bay because it's just full of city yuppies who have completely wrecked what was beautiful about Byron Bay. That's what the locals are telling you right now. Um, they're, they're living in sheds out, out the back. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're getting priced yeah. out, even those, because a lot of the, the local economy there were renters, and yeah. that, now they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So, But as you call it, the fabric of that economy may have very well changed forever. However, there are other regional areas where it doesn't have the attraction of what Byron does. True. You've seen that now. Like, like a you know, you get a, in the city a key, you know, the connected suburbs start growing in line with a really attractive suburb. You've seen that up now in Byron, like, you know, Lennox Head and, and all these sort of areas. Yamba, yeah. for example, you know, they're all correct. They're all off the charts. But this is an isolated example. You can't 
overlay every regional mm. area throughout Australia and say, so that's going to be the next Byron. Yeah. It's all going to be the next Byron. Because once Paul Campbell is going to be the next Byron, but Do you know why? Full disclosure, got property there. It's doing well. <laughs> um, interesting thing. We'll talk about it on the next podcast with you about Port Kembla. <laughs> that was like a bit of a bait then. Yeah, it was. Wasn't yeah. It? Watch his face. Yeah. Smart property investment. Portfolio update. .com.au. But not every area is going to be like that. It won't be like that. And mm. there will be that major shift when it comes to jobs creation back to metropolis. And that's why we've been concentrating on that commutable distance on a daily basis, mm. give or take, back to metropolitan. We've done other regional areas mm. as well, and they've done very well for us, and I think they will continue to, but it will pivot back. So we talk about disconnected markets here, and that was regional versus city. We spoke houses versus units or attached versus non-attached, cash flow versus equity, which we started, which was key. Victor, probably the other real key disconnector at the moment between those who can capitalise in this market <laughs> versus those that can't is those with finance. Yes, and not having finance. And this mm-hmm. probably fundamentally is the key thing because if you don't have this, you don't get the play unless you're yeah. a cash buyer. Well, that's your fuel for your journey, isn't mm. it? If you can't get the finance, you're out of the property game to begin with. So one of the things that uh, you need to be looking at is that put yourself in a position of being able to get finance. And um, uh, there were those talk late last year, early this year of uh, you know major changes happening with lending in March. We're starting to see slow changes happening, but I don't think the changes will be as dramatic to allow someone that's been that been out of the mm. market to jump back in. Well, they they can't. Mm. They can't fuel what is already potentially a bubble any further. Yeah. So I think you will see tweaks to to what that you're referring to responsible lending yes. versus buying. Yeah, they've already yeah. pulled it back, right? Like yeah, slow, yeah. slowing. So it down. It, the changes won't be as dramatic as it was they don't anticipated need to, to be. be. Yeah, is the bottom line. And then there's the, if we talk New South Wales, it's the stamp duty mm-hmm. potential changes. We're yep. already seeing stamp duty discounts in other states mm-hmm. and the like. So there's a lot of those ingredients which won't be there forever. Yes, mm. and we need to remember that. But to your point around finance. If you can't buy the debt, you can't buy the asset. Exactly right. And so you need to actually think well ahead of your next move in t- around mm. finance so that you're in a state of preparation all the time. Yeah, so if we flesh that out a bit more on your newfound equity with this growth that you've had, don't be silly about it and you know don't start buying stuff that adds more debt to your portfolio in the sense of, Steve's looking at me and saying, what, what am I saying? Uh, I know what you're saying. You're going to refer to the Bentley again, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with a nice new car, yeah, Victor. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and Phil's bought a new car. Yeah. 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 So this is- uh, That's in 200B. <laughs> Do you remember that? Or was it 181? I had a 200B. Yeah. My really? first car. That's in 200B. Yeah. That, that's car. one of my first cars as well. Yeah. yeah. He but stole if it. You, <laughs> if he, oh, you're talking about the first car I stole. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Gone in 108 seconds. <laughs> As a push start too. Yeah. So if you look at with Phil's new toy that he's bought, right, that you've used uh, the equity or the savings to buy it rather than getting a car lease as an example, right? Because if you take, take oh, our I didn't cars, do that. I took yeah. that, yeah. 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 So if you have a car lease, a particularly innovated lease, mm. check in with the broker first before you make those decisions because that has a significant impact on your borrowing capacity. Mm. I think we're saying that with... Uh, Z from MLS Finance yes. the other day, it, it, whatever that that loan amount is, it's circa five times, five times the multiplier that, yeah. of eroded serviceability. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've got a fifty thousand dollar, yeah. So if you've got a fifty thousand dollar car lease, it'll take around about a quarter of a million dollars worth of property yeah, because there's no income massive, attached to that. Yeah. yeah. And same with credit cards. Yeah. 
And I know some people love to use credit cards as a, you know, use their money for 30 days scenario and mm. and the like so you can accumulate points, Get your whatever points, it may be. Yeah. There are other ways to achieve the same result without having to have a credit card, Yeah, in my opinion. It's really important and, and that's probably comes back to a fundamental discussion you have when you meet with people mm. around what their debt profile is outside of property. Yes. And a lot of people have a lot of, there's good debt, bad debt. Or productive and non-productive debt. Productive, non-productive. Productive, productive yeah. debt being sort of mortgage-based debt, non-productive Appreciating debt being, assets. Yep. Yeah. Well, cars now can be appreciating as well. well depending, apparently, depending on what you buy, it's an asset, right? Yeah, well, for a short you know, period of time. For a short period of time. Yes. Um, it's like a mining town purchase, mate. And just to concentrate, Steve, but you mentioned something that I wanted to pick up and you said something along the lines of, Stuff doesn't last forever, right? In this environment, um, <laughs> no, 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 stuff no, no, doesn't yeah. last forever. There it is. There's the headline. <laughs> yeah, but it was around. You know, these market dynamics will change. What we haven't spoken about is what is helping to fuel this market is the current government. It's made its decision around COVID, and I think Australia's done pretty well out of it. But that government comes up for review in a couple of years' time, right? I think mm. uh, eighteen months' time or so, when a potential for calling a federal election. So the question to ask is: Is this all going to come to an end if there is a government change come late twenty twenty one? I look at it a little different mm. than: Is it all going to come to an end? I control and I worry about what I can control. Mm. Everything else is out of mm. my hands, and. Accordingly, I create what I create based on those moments in time, not when everything's going well. It's how will it survive? How will the asset survive when everything is perhaps not so well? Because I don't want to be that person who's concerned about it at that point in time and running for the hills, which Mm. inevitably people will, as they always do. And I think probably that's the, the point we were trying to make earlier on is establish and control the portfolio today for tomorrow and next year and the year after, rather than being the knee-jerk reactionary investor. Mm. And sort of planning for the future if you think that uh, interest rates are at all-time low. So there's only real one way for rates to go, and that is up. So having that buffer in place. But if you put, if you go back to the last election when the quiet Australian voted, Morrison and and Mm. the Liberal government back in, at that point in time, they were talking about pretty significant changes to how property investors would be able to invest in terms of negative gearing and also the taxing of retirement. So if you think that if you're buying property now in 18 months, two years, three years' time, that negative gearing was turned off, what would that do to your personal finances for a lot of people? Do you know what? I don't think people are thinking about that as much Mm. as they were yesteryear literally because they don't need to. The cost of money is cheap. Everything's Mm -hmm. going up. And this is the point. Yeah, Everybody feels great between their ears brackets the wealth effect when their asset values are going up yeah they tend to forget about they gloss over everything yeah they yeah Yeah. everything including whatever those deductions are you know as a bonus but more Mm. so the cash flow yeah once again it's not until they start to miss it and they Mm. start to need it that they start to go well you know jesus i I better make some Uh, it could that could change things Mm. very very quickly for a lot of people but that shouldn't stop you investing right now this is this this is the point just invest in the right way with the right parameters and right barriers i truly do believe that and it's not even just property but yeah because that's our asset class Mm. whilst we have such a disconnected global ecosystem i also think it's some of the best opportunity no matter what that asset class looks for you today yeah, I agree with you. That's uh, probably a good way to re- end this chat. It's good, Victor. Thank you. Thank you. Anything? Um, what's what's latest with you guys? Anything uh, our audience need to know? 
How do they get in touch? How do they connect in? Sure, they can ping us on Facebook or uh, send us an email, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or there's a contact me button on the website that they can click and uh, get in touch with us. That's cool. Uh, thanks, gents. I really enjoy the chat. So it's one of the highlights of my months getting together with you guys. Uh, season five, that's episode two of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. Uh, remember, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au is where you need to go if you want to get in contact with the guys. We'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.